0: And you can get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com slash slash film.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for January 5th, 2018. On today's show, we're going to be talking about the best movie moments of 2017. Uh, This is Peter Shoda, and joining me on today's podcast is... Jacob Hall. Brad Oman. Ben Pearson.
2: Pai Chen Bui.
1: Chris Evangelista. We got it right, guys. That that, that only took about five tries. Uh, today we're talking about the best moments of 2017's films. Uh, there's a big article on SlashFilm.com that has uh, been written by most of the SlashFilm team. And uh, it is great. You should go check it out. Uh, because we're talking about the biggest moments of this movie year we're going to be spoiling some big moments in movies uh obviously you probably have not seen all the movies of 2017 but uh we're going to start with the bigger ones and go to the smaller ones uh just uh to help things we'll have a time code in the show notes so if you 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 don't want to um hear something we'll, we'll give you some proper warning uh but uh if you don't want to hear something you can skip around uh with the time codes in the show notes but we will try uh to to you know keep this as uh as i mean it's not spoiler free because it's filled with spoilers but we're, we're gonna do our best for you okay
0: as spoiler friendly as possible
1: yeah spoiler friendly as possible so uh let's uh, ben why don't you start this off Sure. Uh, One of my
0: moments is the ending of Split. So if you've not seen Split, uh, skip ahead for a little bit. But uh, for me, the very end of Split is definitely one of 2017's biggest, like, holy shit moments, um, in which it's revealed that, hey, spoiler alert, it was an unbreakable sequel the whole time. So uh, I'm sure the, the first... Batch of audiences who went into this movie having no idea that this connection existed their minds must have been completely blown Uh, I knew it was coming and it was still a really cool moment seeing Bruce Willis's character from unbreakable pop up in a diner at the very end when they're talking about um, James McAvoy's character in split and uh, the whole thing is basically just a, a setup for Glass, the, coming, the upcoming sequel that's hitting in 2019, and it joins these two uh, cinematic universes together and sort of recontextualizes everything that you've seen before in Split and, and sort of lets you know that the whole thing has been set in this uh, superhero-adjacent universe.
1: Brad, your number one pick.
3: Yeah, well, this is one of the biggest moments out of any of the blockbusters this entire year. And that's, of course, Luke Skywalker's last stand in Star Wars The Last Jedi. Uh, it is such a pivotal moment for a number of reasons, uh, the biggest of which being this is the end of Luke Skywalker's time uh, in the Star Wars galaxy, at least as a, a living person. Um, and it's, he does so many things in this in the third act that resolves his character in such a beautiful way. He pays a visit to his sister Leia he gives a cheeky wink to C-3PO and finally he becomes the legend that Rey and the Resistance need him to be by facing off with Kylo Ren in the middle of this salt desert on Krait. Um And he basically makes it appear as if he can't be defeated and creates this legend, this image that will be the spark that actually brings people to support the Resistance and fight against the First Order again. It is... An incredible moment, if, um, especially because of the reveal that Luke Skywalker is not actually there. He's projecting himself from Ahch-To using the Force, uh, which is a revelation that all three times that I've seen the movie, the audience has erupted into applause. Um, and it's just it's an incredible moment. And it really brings Luke Skywalker as a character to a close in a way that I am more than satisfied with. And it's one of the things that I love the most about The Last
1: Jedi. Chris, what is your first pick?
4: Uh, my first pick is the the final moment in the film It. So uh, I'm a really big Stephen King fan. I was very excited about this film, and one of the reasons I loved the the film ad- adaptation of It so much is because it understands that to get Stephen King right, you need more than just the scares to work. You need actually to have the characters work, because Stephen King is really good at building his characters up, even like characters who appear only briefly. He's very good at giving them backgrounds in his books. And this film really gets that. And it does a really good job of establishing, uh, you know, these seven kids, the losers club and making them seem, you know, like endearing characters, really characters you care about. And the final scene of the, of the film is them all saying goodbye to each other. And, uh, I actually just rewatched the movie last night cause I got my Blu-ray copy of it. And even I've seen this movie three times at this point. And again and again, this ending just hits me really hard in that just the way it's handled where, you know, one by one they all sort of depart and they're all saying goodbye and the summer is over. And the film really hammers home this feeling that, you know, uh, all these kids really have is each other, you know, they're, they're outcasts, they're losers, they're misfits. And, The movie really gets how important it is when you feel like a misfit, how good it feels to find someone else who can be like a misfit alongside you. And I just love that the film gets that so well. And it really, you know, the best moment in this movie for me isn't a scary moment. It's this emotional moment at the end.
2: So my first pick is. The most pivotal moment in Diana's arc in Wonder Woman, and that's No Man's Land, and it was a scene that was famously nearly cut from the film, but it is so pivotal, but pivotal because it is the birth of Wonder Woman. it's her, it's her moment of becoming, of taking on that uh, uh, responsibility to wield her extraordinary power for the greater good, and she does this by, you know, shedding sort of these these clothes that she's been placed in that are sort of like the embodiment of the patriarchy and everything, and deciding to uh, step out onto no man's land, which is the stretch of land between the ally sol- allied soldiers and the German soldiers who um, no man have, has ever crossed. And it's quite a little on the nose that, you know, the first person to cross it is a woman, but it's so powerful because uh, it is Wonder Woman, because she not only steps out and tries to go across to save this village that's under siege by the German soldiers, but she inspired all the other soldiers behind her to also finally make that first step and fight uh, for, fight the good fight. And it's a wonderful embodiment of uh, Wonder Woman as she is in this inspiration and the sincere, hopeful hero who um, is at, in her best moments, the perfect inspiration for other people.
5: Uh, My first pick is the silencer shootout from John Wick Chapter 2. This comes about halfway through the movie. It's when John Wick returns to New York City, and a hit has been put out on him, this massive bounty, and every single assassin in this crazy world of assassins, where everybody seems to be a trained murderer, comes out to get him, and it's this montage of him fighting off all kinds of killers from all different backgrounds, getting the Crap beaten out of him, but always coming out on top. But it climaxes when Cassian, a, an assassin played by Common, who's really great in this movie, shows, shows up to kill him. And they start stalking each other through a subway station, both with Silum's pistols, both holding the pistols like in their jackets, casually firing at each other from the hip, while the crowd around them does not notice that they're in the middle of a gunfight. It's preposterous, and it's hilarious, and it's just this perfect John Wick moment. It has all the style, humor, and action that makes these movies so good and so entertaining. And it just, the fact that it comes in the middle of a montage full of other incredible action beats just makes it all the sweeter. And, and and the scene goes on even beyond this, but I think just a moment just a few shots of Cassian and John Wick having a shootout in, in a crowd of hundreds of people and nobody noticing is one of my maybe my favorite action movie moment of 2017
1: that i would agree um my first pick i would argue might be the biggest movie moment for me in 2017 and it's uh surprisingly from a marvel film uh it is uh peter parker meeting the parents in spider-man homecoming so if you haven't seen spider-man homecoming you know uh Fast forward. Um, but, uh, Peter, you know, d- during the movie, Peter Parker has had these exchanges with, uh, Adrian Toombs, the vulture, Michael Keaton's character, and he's also, you know, obviously ch- trying to chase, um, Liz, uh, go-, go to the dance, and, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, you see all these detective stories where there's oftentimes two stories that you think are completely unrelated. And then at one point late into like the second act, you've realized that they are completely connected. And that that's what makes this uh, surprise so great that Peter Parker shows up at the, as Liz's house house to pick her up for the dance and realizes that uh, her parents are, you know, the vulture, his, you know, Enemy, and uh, the, the the scene that takes place following that of uh, Tombs driving them to the dance is just filled with tension. It's you know classic, almost like Hitchcock. You know the 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 the, the bomb is underneath the table, and when is it going to go out? You know do the people know? And like it's the realization of uh, Tombs, and then Peter, and then you know the awkward. it's just it, when I saw this. Moment in the theater, I was like on the edge of my seat with like the biggest smile on my face. It, uh, I I think it was, uh, one of the best movie moments of 2017. But let's go on from, uh, from Spider Man to a past Spider Man actor. Uh, Ben, what is your movie moment?
0: Yes. So this is uh, an audition scene from James Franco in The Disaster Artist. Um, this one isn't too much of a spoiler, it's sort of uh, shown in the trailer a little bit, but. Uh, there's a scene where James Franco, as who's playing Tommy Wiseau, the star of The Room in the film, uh, attempts to audition for a casting director to, you know, get an agent or, or try to, you know. Uh, play this uh, I think he's trying to audition to play a professor like an all-american professor and even though he is uh, overly confident as Tommy Wiseau tends to be he is hilariously incapable of dropping whatever mysterious accent that he has and Casey Wilson who's playing the casting director um is really great in the movie at just sort of be- being this confused befuddled person who is trying to understand what the hell Tommy Wiseau thinks he's doing in this audition room um the whole scene is funny and sad at the same time, which is sort of a microcosm of the movie uh, at large, where it, it sort of juxtaposes um, th- these ideas of, uh, of you know, going and chasing your dreams, but maybe not quite having the talent um, that you need to achieve them. Um, but yeah, it, it's one of many, many fantastic moments in The Disaster Artist.
1: And up next is Brad's second pick, which is a giant spoiler for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. So if you have not seen the movie, fast forward now. Brad.
3: This was such a surprisingly incredible movie moment simply because the character at the center of it, I never would have anticipated, would have elicited so much of an emotional reaction from me based on his role in the first movie. And uh, that's Yondu's funeral in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 simply because Yondu is turned into a character that you can't help but feel sorry for and fall in love with in volume two because of how he's treated by the ravagers, how much he cares for Peter Quill, uh, AKA star Lord. And you see that he is this makeshift father for Peter, albeit a flawed one. And so it makes his death that much more harder to deal with once, you know, Peter realizes how important Yandu is to him. And the funeral is such a beautiful moment. Not only is, uh, Chris Pratt's, monologue uh touching charming and even a bit funny but then yondu gets this big send-off when the ravagers actually show up and uh you know sound the horns and display uh the colors um that he deserves for a ravager funeral and it's just you know with with cat stevens playing in the background it is a a beautiful moment and uh i would never have believed that this would be something that would you know touch me so much um after watching the first guardians of the galaxy so it's just uh, a great great scene created by james Gunn.
1: Yeah, very emotional moment. And up next is the ending of Florida Project. Uh, so if you have not seen Florida Project, again, fast forward. Chris, tell us about the ending of Florida Project.
4: Yes, yeah, so uh, Florida Project is my personal number one film of the year. And uh, the whole movie is very, you know, it's down to earth and realistic. And then the last few moments uh, find themselves in this sort of fantasy sequence where, uh, the setup of the whole movie is, you know, it's these impoverished people living in this uh, rundown motel in Florida, really close to Disney, and Disney is always sort of like looming in the background of the whole movie. And at the very end, uh, child services come to take this, uh, you know, the the young star of the film away, and uh, it, it, you know, Sean Baker, the director, he keeps mounting the tension, and it's getting more and more tense, and you're basically on the edge of your seat because you know you know, something bad is going to happen really soon. And, uh, pretty much, uh, it seems like almost out of nowhere, uh, little girl, her name is Mooney. She runs off to find her friend who lives in another motel. And together they basically run towards Disney. And the whole movie just sort of becomes completely different here. Uh, Sean Baker, he shot this whole sequence on an iPhone with a, a rolling shutter, which gives it this sort of like sped up, uh, surreal sort of quality. And, you know, it's, it's giving the film a happy ending in a sort of false way. It's, it's Sean Baker saying, you know, there is no real such thing as a happy ending for these characters. So the only way they're going to get a happy ending is through this fantasy sequence where they basically just invade Disney and, you know, the magic kingdom is just there, you know, the castle is there. And that's, you know, it's a fairy tale ending where there is no real
1: happy ending to come. You know, even though I don't lo- love the execution of that ending, hearing you describe it is making him em- making me emotional. Uh, and talking about emotion, HT's next pick is a very emotional moment from Coco. Of course, if you haven't seen it, fast forward.
2: Yeah. So this is the emotional climax of Coco. It's the part where uh, spoilers, like Peter said, Miguel uh, has made his way back to the land of living after um his adventure in the land of the dead, his family had sort of reunited in the land of the dead and had helped him uh, come back before the sunset or the sun rose. But uh, this came at a price because as he was leaving the land of the dead, his great, uh, great grandfather Hector, who he, who he had just um, discovered was his great, great grandfather. It had been sort of his companion throughout his adventure. And there was a big revelation that he was an actuality related to him. So he, Uh, Hector was on the verge of being forgotten by his daughter, Coco, who was the last uh, living relative who remembered him. And there's this concept in Coco where uh, a character in The Land of the Dead can have a final death in which they are forgotten by all the living people in the world and thus are basically non-existent. And it's a really sad and real concept that is kind of Pixarified, but it's beautifully done. And, um, Miguel realizing that he could lose Hector forever in uh, the living and the dead world, he runs to his mama Coco to try to get her to remember. But she, at this point, is suffering from dementia and uh, is non-responsive to him. And everyone who, all of his family who who he's reunited with, are scolding him and berating him for disappearing. And he is only left with the emotion that his great-great-grandfather will soon disappear and he dies into the arms of his parents. But he accidentally nudges the guitar that he uh, retrieves from Ernesto de la Cruz's tomb. And um, that guitar used to belong to Hector. And so he sings the song that Hector had written for Coco to try to get her to remember. And, throughout the process as he's singing and he's trembling and crying coco finally sort of wakes from her daze and starts singing along with them and it's this beautiful emotional climax that deals with that encompasses all the themes that coco has dealt with before which is loss and their and uh remem- and memory and legacy and it's just um it's a wonderful small intimate moment that is made large which is what pixar really does best
1: And I would argue that there is no greater tearjerker than that moment in Coco, and it's a one-two punch for, you know, what happens then and what happens, you know, seconds after that. Uh, But let's go on from that to Jacob's number two choice.
5: Uh, My second choice is from Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Martin McDonough's very dark, very funny, very sad, tragic comedy. And it happens very early in the movie. It's after uh, Frances McDormand's character has erected three billboards uh, outside of her small town accusing the police of not doing their job and finding the man who raped and murdered her daughter. And then we uh, also meet Sheriff Willoughby, played by Woody Harrelson, who we quickly realize is a stand-up guy. He's smart, he's funny, he's well-respected, and the movie doesn't ask us to pick sides. So when he takes Mildred, Frances McDormand's character, into the interrogation room of the police station to say, hey, why'd you do this? And these two smart, witty, righteous people who who both have their own perspective and are both right in their own ways have this showdown and it's funny and it's tense and it's, Martin McDonagh writes very stylized dialogue so it's a little theatrical in the best of ways and then Willoughby sneezes and there's a spray of blood from his sneeze that lands all over Mildred's face. And what we know and what other people do not yet is that Willoughby has cancer and he's dying. And in that moment, Willoughby, this sort of posturing, tough guy, cocky sheriff, starts apologizing and sort of becomes a shell of himself and, and seems to, like, shrink before your very eyes. And Mildred, rather than taking the moment of her enemy's weakness, immediately gets up, checks Steve's okay, and runs to get help. And it's the movie in a microcosm. Where as dark as things get, as much as you may hate somebody, as much as you want to get revenge or tear something down, at the end of the day, we can only move on by reclaiming our humanity and being good to each other. And the rest of the movie is is all these characters falling and failing and, and struggling to be good to each other and to find goodness. And the movie doesn't necessarily decide that they find it, but this early scene suggests that it's there and the only way to get by is to be good to each other
1: second choice for uh best movie moment uh, is probably uh the best joke out of any of the jokes in any of the films released in 2017 and that would be the 9-11 joke in the big Sick. Uh, i think this joke has been in some of the marketing for the movie so i'm not sure how much of a spoiler it is um and if you haven't seen the big Sick, you should go to amazon right now you should you know stop this podcast and just Go do it. Watch it. Um, But it's it's, you know, a moment where Camille is there with his uh, ex-girlfriend in the hospital. She's in a coma and he's there with their parents. And it's very dramatic, filled with uh, drama. And it's this joke about, you know, America's one of America's greatest tragedies uh, that is so funny. And uh, so fitting. I, I remember seeing this at the Sundance Film Festival and people were laughing for, I think, like 20 seconds after the joke. I couldn't even hear what was going on in the scene. It was. It, it's just, uh, yeah, it, it's one of the funniest. It, it is the funniest moment of 2017's films, I think. Uh, but let's go on from that. Uh, ben, tell us about your next moment.
0: Yeah, mine is a joke that I think rivals that one, um, which is the Game of Thrones joke in Logan Lucky. Um, this movie has not really gotten a ton of attention. It sort of uh, came and went, and it's a fine movie, but this joke in there, where <laughs> the movie completely comes to a halt for a couple minutes uh, during this jail sequence where uh, Dwight Yoakam's character, who plays the warden, is uh, is basically negotiating with the inmates who have taken over the prison, and they are demanding uh, access to the, the George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire book series, and he has to explain to them the reason That Martin has not uh, completed the trilogy because of, you know, he had a busy, um, uh, what what was it? Some sort of like a a punishing, uh, I'm trying to remember the exact phrasing of the line and I can't write the second. But anyway, it goes into um he's like reading from the wikipedia page you know reciting this information to these inmates who are suspicious and they don't really believe him but they know that the tv show has gone beyond the events of the books it's really really great and actually embedded a video clip that you can watch the whole thing even if you haven't seen logan lucky i'd recommend going to definitely check out our full list of these movie moments and just watch that video clip out of context because it's funny even if you don't know what what else is going on in the movie
1: And all three of Brad's choices are from some of the biggest movies of the year, and his third choice is also from a Marvel movie. Brad, what is your third choice?
3: Yeah, this is a moment that I honestly wish there was some way that it couldn't have been spoiled by the marketing, but then, I don't know, uh, it would have been very hard to get around the fact that it's such a big part of the movie. Um, And that's when Thor and Hulk reunite in Thor Ragnarok. Uh, It was something that was teased right away when the first trailer came out that Thor was going to be facing off with Hulk uh, in a gladiator arena on another planet, um, bringing in elements of um, Planet Hulk uh, into the fray. And the moment is just so great because not only is the fight between these two incredible, but the moment when they actually meet is played with such perfect humor by Chris Hemsworth, like his reaction is so excited and earnest and genuine. And it's, it's so hilarious. He's so pumped that Hulk is the one that he's supposed to fight. Uh, and the, the the line, you know, where he says uh, he's a friend from work, and everyone's like, what the hell's going on? And then Thor, like, recounts all the bad things that have happened to him in the past couple days, losing his hammer and and all this, uh, you know, his, his father dying, all these things. And then Hulk just doesn't give a shit and just wants to fight. And then they get into it. And it's just – it's such an awesome moment. And I, I can only imagine – how cool it would have been to have sat in the theater watching Thor Ragnarok and having no idea that Hulk was going to be in that movie. That that, that has to be a cool thing. And I, I hope that some people, uh, maybe maybe kids who are not aware of marketing and maybe their parents save it for them, are able to experience one day without having that spoiled for them because it's, it's such a cool moment.
1: Yeah, and it should be mentioned that that moment was created on set and Make-A-Wish uh, make kid was visiting the set and came up with that line on yeah. set, which is just perfect uh but next up on the list is, is we're gonna get weird with chris
4: <laughs> yes um uh my pick is this next pick is the the famous or infamous pie eating scene from uh, a ghost story so a ghost story premiered at sundance uh, you know last year and almost immediately at the premiere all the only thing anyone kept talking about was this scene where Rooney Mara eats an entire pie. And uh, it took me a while to finally see the film. And I finally did. And even though I knew the the pie eating scene was there, it still uh it still stood out. Um it, it stands out for two reasons. One, it's very it's just very strange to watch Rooney Mara eat an entire pie. And apparently she had never eaten a pie before, which is also very weird. I guess I don't know, she comes from a very wealthy family. Maybe they don't eat pies in, in wealthy families. But, uh, so that was on one level. It's very strange, but on another level, there's also this like undercurrent of, you know, sadness to the scene because, uh, it's set right after she comes back from the funeral of her husband, who is played by Casey Affleck, who spends pretty much the entire film covered in a sheet as a ghost. And, you know, she, you know, she's depressed and she's sad. And, you know, the only thing in her house is this pie that someone brought over And it's sort of like, you know, an attempt at at, uh, comfort food where she's, you know, she just wants to feel something other than sadness. So she forces herself to eat this entire pie and it backfires because she ends up running to the bathroom and throwing it all up. So, you know, on level, it's a very amusing scene to watch her eat an entire pie. But it's also, you know, it's sad that, you know,
1: no matter how hard she tries that she can't really get rid of that sadness, you know, with even with binge eating. I can only imagine someone sitting out there that hasn't seen this movie and is listening to this is thinking this movie sounds so weird. And it's actually weirder than than I think uh, you'd get the impression right now. Uh, But let's move on from that to a moment from uh, one of this uh, year's most critically acclaimed films. HT, tell us about it.
2: So this scene from Call Me By Your Name is actually not one of the critically acclaimed scenes uh, one of the scenes you'd expect in a critically acclaimed film it's uh army hammer dancing really badly <laughs> To uh, an 80s pop song, and he's wearing these dad shorts, and obviously has no dancing skills. But it only lasts about a minute long, and it takes place um, after Army Hammer's character Oliver has recently arrived to the Italian villa where Elio, Timothy Chamolet's character, and his family reside. And um, Tim, uh, Elio brings. Oliver out on a night in the town, and they're all having fun and dancing, these beautiful people in this beautiful countryside. And um, it's kind of interrupted by this really funny scene uh, that has launched a million memes if you check on twitter there was um a twitter account that basically set this scene to various songs of just army hammer dancing badly to many pop songs and it fits actually but there's a another sort sort of um undercurrent to this scene as well sort of similar to the pie scene from a ghost story and it's about kind of this feeling of longing and yearning that Elio is grappling with because he's there to have a good time with his girlfriend and he, at the same time, is watching Oliver dance and dealing with these feelings that he hasn't, he doesn't quite understand, he doesn't quite have to process and um, it's just kind of seeing Oliver with another woman dancing, he becomes sort of jealous, slightly turned on and it's an interesting mix and tumult of emotions that you see across Timothy Chamelea's. Face in the matter of seconds, and it's wonderfully um, understated scene, as is the rest of the film. But it's kind of varied within this really funny dancing that Army Hammer does.
5: And next up is Jacob's final scene. Yeah, this is from the this is the last scene from the movie Raw. So if you haven't seen Raw or plan to see it, I would really recommend not listening because this is the punchline to the whole movie. And it, but it's so good, and even if you hear it here, watch it anyway. But Raw is a, a horror movie, but it's also a movie about leaving home and going to college for the first time. And follows a young girl named Justine, played by uh, Garen Smellier, who's amazing. As She goes to veterinary college, grapples with her loneliness, grapples with homesickness, and learns that she's also a cannibal and starts eating human flesh. And it's really gross and really amazing. And at the end of the movie, she goes home. A lot of bad stuff has happened. She's grappled with a lot of... Personal baggage, her family member is in trouble um, because of her actions. She's not sure she's going back to school. It's all a very sad moment, and she's sitting at the kitchen table with her father, who we've barely seen. We saw him very early in the movie. He starts talking to her about when he first met her mother and how difficult it was to begin their courtship. And then he opens his shirt and reveals he's covered in bite marks and scars and gaping wounds from years and years and years of his wife eating his body and he he tenderly tells his uh, daughter that she's going to find a way it's going to work out for her and simultaneously romantic because this guy married a, a woman who was a cannibal and stuck by her side let her eat off of him and suck with stuck with him and made their relationship work, damn it. But at the same time, it's super disgusting. it's a really, really amazing, jarring moment. And then once you see this reveal, once he tells her things are gonna be okay, movie cuts to credits and it's over. And it's also a great uh, metaphor for how your parents' baggage in your genetic or otherwise lingers over you. And Justine didn't go to college and decide she wanted to be a cannibal. She was just she's very much her mother's daughter. And her dad gets that and tries to make her feel better about it, even though it's a really horrifying image. And, man, I saw this movie maybe a year and a half ago when it first premiered in festivals in 2016. And even in 2017 when it was released uh, properly, I, haven't, I have not forgotten about this shot. It, it's, it's just burned in there and I love it so much.
1: And my final movie moment is from Valerian in the city of a thousand planets. Uh, I know probably you have not seen this movie. A lot of, no one has, um, I'm not going to say I recommend it, but, uh, it does have at least two must see must see moments in the film, including the opening, which is spectacular and you can see online, but there is an action sequence in the film. Uh, and I, I don't think this is a spoiler, uh, where our, two heroes uh, go to this big market which is in the middle of a desert and they have to re- recover like something and uh, basically uh, dehan's character uh, Dan Huon's character wields these gloves and glasses to reach through to another dimension where they are visiting this uh, this big market this big alien market so it's in it's an action scene that takes place in two different dimensions at the same time. And it's intercut. Things are happening in our reality. And they're also happening in this other reality that he is seeing through these kind of like VR goggles. And it's, uh, it, it is insane. It's, uh, only a thing that like someone like Luke Besson could have brought to the big screen. And it, it makes me so happy. Uh, I am, uh, it sucks that this movie is not a better film. It sucks that it kind of like the second half kind of falls into cliche nothingness. But uh, I, I think, I think everybody should see this movie just to see the scene because it's just so inventive and so cool. And, uh, by the way th- th- this this list that we're doing on this podcast i just realized it's probably like the 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 worst fear of all these people that were emailing us about spoilers because everything we've talked about today has been like some kind of big reveal or some kind of big moment um so i'm wondering if if any of those people actually got to the end of this episode but uh if if you want you know we've only mentioned a, a dozen of uh, these scenes or these moments from these films and on slashfilm.com, film.com uh, Jacob and the team have compiled a list of 56 best movie moments of 2017. So there is a ton more, uh, you know, obviously this this year was filled with some some great uh movie moments i would i would urge you go to slash film.com read that article uh it's, it's not just a great compilation of movie moments but it's it's well written from the entire team and i was barely a part of it so uh i can say that and uh pat the team on the back for this one um but uh yeah so that leaves us at the end of the episode uh I, I would have everybody say where they can find more of their work, but it, it would just take ten minutes. So I'm just going to say you can find everybody on slashfilm.com and uh, on uh, on Twitter. You could search their names and find them there. Uh, you you can find a link to that full list on com and in the show notes. Uh, and uh, if you uh, want to email us, send us an email, peter at com. You can find this podcast, Home Daily, published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. Please go to iTunes, give us a rating, give us a review, and we will see you next time.